the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. SRN News. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. There were teachers at Colossae that came in and said, look, if you people are struggling with sin, the way to deal with your sin problems is uh, is what Paul calls legalism. Just impose some policies and external rules on you, and you won't do this stuff. And Paul says, no, that never changes the heart. They also taught that if you want victory over sin, you've got to have some kind of internal, subjective, um, mystical experience. And Paul says, no, that won't do it either. That's not really part of the uh, part of growth. You get caught up in subjectivism rather than the head being the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan likes it best when we like to sin, but if he fails in his goal of leading us to open rebellion against God, he has a fallback plan. He suggests methods of attaining righteous living that can never succeed. Two of them are legalism and mysticism. Legalism ignores God's role in sanctification, and mysticism ignores our responsibility. One of the more significant areas in which we easily fall into sin is in the area of our speech. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue his series of lessons about the struggle to be holy. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida for over 28 years now. And these radio Bible classes are an extension of that teaching ministry. In 1984, 20-year-old Texas A&M cadet Bruce Goodrich died of heat stroke after being forced to run in August heat until he dropped. Three cadets pleaded guilty to hazing charges and were sentenced to probation. A fourth cadet was found guilty of tampering with evidence in the case. He was sentenced to a year's probation and expelled from the university. A short time after the tragedy, Bruce's father wrote this letter to the administration, faculty, student body, and the Corps of Cadets. I would like to take this opportunity to express the appreciation of my family for the great outpouring of concern and sympathy from Texas A&M University and the college community over the loss of our son, Bruce. We were deeply touched by the tribute paid to him in the battalion. We were particularly pleased to note that his Christian witness did not go unnoticed during his brief time on campus. I hope it will be some comfort to know that we harbor no ill will in the matter. We know our God makes no mistakes. Bruce had an appointment with his Lord and is now secure in his celestial home. When the question is asked, why did this happen? Perhaps one answer will be so that many will consider where they will spend eternity. How could Bruce's family respond so kindly? Why would they respond so kindly? I think it is because their goal was to be like Christ. Let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 and get started with our lesson. Here's Pastor Steve. Colossians chapter 3, we'll read verses 8 through 11. And now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self 
who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. In South America, there is a snake called the two-step snake. And it uh, gets its name because if it bites you, you take two steps and then you die. Two-step snake. Now, the reason that it kills so quickly is because its venom swiftly paralyzes the heart of its victim. Very quickly. Obviously, two steps. Now, you know, words can have the same effect. Words have the potential to kill their victim. They have the capability to swiftly kill a relationship, to poison a friendship, to destroy fellowship, to paralyze a spiritual heart. Words have that same kind of effect. And that's why the New Testament writer James said, speaking of the tongue, and he's speaking of words that the tongues say, he said, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is such a small organ in the body, James is saying, and yet it has the, the, uh, it can affect and direct the lives of people in a tremendous way. Tremendous way. In fact, that's why James says, writing context in James 3, don't be too quick to be a teacher of the word. And what he means is that those who teach have the, uh, the power by their tongue to, to direct lives. So there's a very strict judgment for those who direct them in the wrong way. So make sure you're called to be a teacher because what the tongue says can, can influence people far beyond the size of that, that little organ. In fact, when James says that the tongue is small, he is absolutely accurate. Uh, medically speaking, the tongue is a two-ounce, four-inch slab of mucous membrane that wraps itself around nerves and muscles to help us chew, taste, and talk. But oh, this little organ can create awfully big problems, can't it? Can't it? Now, we understand that when James is talking about the tongue, uh, he's talking about the organ of the tongue, but what he really is saying is that the tongue is the vehicle. The tongue is the vehicle for evil words to be expressed from the heart. And uh, I'd like you to look at James chapter 4. We touched on this last week, but James chapter 4 tells us this. The, the problem is not really your tongue. The problem is what your heart tells your tongue to say. And by heart, I don't mean the organ that, that pumps blood within you. I mean the inner man, uh, the real you, the immaterial part of you. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? He doesn't say it's the tongue. He says, it's, is it not the, the source, is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder, and you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you, you quarrel. The sins of anger and malice and bitterness uh, really stem from a lustful desire, James is saying, to have your own way. If you don't get it, you murder. And I don't think he means you physically murder. He means what Jesus said, and we looked at this last week in, in Matthew chapter 5, that anger is the sin of murder. That's how God sees it. He's not talking about killing someone physically, but he is talking about killing them in, in your heart. So the words that we say 
really stem from the evil that's in our heart. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 34, or Matthew chapter 12, rather, verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. In other words, and this is the words of Dr. J. Vernon McGee, what is in the well of the heart will come out through the bucket of the mouth. That's what Jesus is talking about. If your heart has been changed, it ought to demonstrate that by the words that you speak. If your heart is unregenerate, uh, then evil words are going to come out from an evil an evil heart, uh, which brings us to our study of Colossians chapter 3. And we've been studying for a few weeks the very issue of the battle for holiness. And that's what this chapter is about. The background is this. There were teachers at Colossae that came in and said, look, if you people are struggling with sin, the way to deal with your sin problems is, uh, is what Paul calls legalism. Just impose some policies and external rules on you, and you won't do this stuff. And Paul says, no, that never changes the heart. They also taught that if you want victory over sin, you've got to have some kind of internal, subjective, um, mystical experience. And Paul says, no, that won't do it either. That's not really part of the uh, part of growth. You get caught up in subjectivism rather than the head being the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that in chapter 2. Some were saying you have to be ascetic. You have to deny yourself certain pleasures, certain physical pleasures, and then you'll be more spiritual. Paul says none of those, those uh, isms will make you spiritual. And in chapter 3, he says what will make you spiritual. Chapter 3 is about having victory over the struggles of sin. And uh, he deals in this chapter, for example, with the sins of sexuality and sensuality and sexual sins. We looked at that a few weeks ago. He will go on to speak about husbands and wives and, and children and parents and employee attitudes, which in those days would be slave and master and things like that. But in verses 8 through 11, he is addressing the common struggle that we all face, and that is the struggle of anger and hatred and evil speech. And Paul tells us that we must lay them aside as you would lay an old filthy garment aside. He's using the language of laying clothes aside. And we, we explained all this last week. And last week we saw how to do it. So let me quickly review, and if you were not here, you did not take notes, you can do it now. How do you lay aside the sins of anger? Number one, you must have no excuses. It's nobody else's fault but your own. It's not a certain time of the month. It has nothing to do with your ethnic background. It has nothing to do with what home you were raised in. Well, I saw my parents explode, and so uh, that's just the way I am. No, you can change. It may be more challenging for you certain times of the month, uh, women have a more challenging time, but they cannot excuse their, their uh, anger and hostility. And nor can men or any of us if we know Christ. So no excuses. There's nothing to do with the color hair you have. It has nothing to do with genetics, except, as we said, that genetically we're linked to Adam. That's, that's the, uh, the real issue. Number two, we said admit that the problem is your self-centeredness. It's not somebody else. It's your self-centeredness. It's the attitude. The only reason we get angry is because we have this attitude, how dare they do this to me? That's what James is saying. You fight and you, you have quarrels because you lust and do not have. 
You want something, you have your own agenda, and if you don't get your way, you stomp your foot, you yell, you do a slow burn. It, it, we only have a problem with anger when we get into the mentality of, I have rights. I have needs. I have my agenda. That's the real source of the problem. It's not the job you work at. It's not any of that stuff. Uh, the enemy is you. And the attitude of self-centeredness, it is nothing more than the major word called pride. And that may hurt, and that may bother us, and we may react, but that is the truth according to Scripture. It is pride. We have wounded pride. How dare they do this to me? Don't they know who I am? They don't particularly care who you are, actually. But admit that the problem is your self-centeredness. Number three, then refuse to think about yourself. We get angry because we're too caught up with ourselves. So the, the battle is won when we refuse to think about ourselves and center life around us. But you cannot just say, yes, I refuse to think about me. You must think about something. So what should you replace that thinking with? You need to take in Scripture. Paul says in Philippians 4, think on the things that are true, the things that are worthy of praise. You're going to think about something. The Scripture says, don't think about yourself. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And the things that are on the earth is getting my way and, uh, and anger and malice and why did he do this to me and then he know who I am. The things that are above are compassion and forgiveness and, and holy attitudes. So refuse, and it is a mental discipline. It is a habit uh, that you must cultivate. Refuse to think about yourself and think about the truths of Scripture. Number four, get a godly perspective. Get a godly perspective. And Philippians chapter 4 says, and, and it's a marvelous passage about how to have victory over worry and how to have God's peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. Forbearing means a yielding of rights, a moderation, a uh, I don't insist on getting my way. Paul says, let it be known to all men. And then he gives a little clue as to how to do it. The Lord is near, meaning that the Lord's return is close. It's near. It's closer than, than it's ever been. In light of Christ coming back soon, in light of his return, who cares about some of these issues? Because when he comes back, he's going to clear it all up. Who cares about the person who rips you off in business? In 10 million years, what difference will that make? In light of his return, he'll right every wrong. He'll take care of all these things. You just keep your testimony. And don't blow up. And don't be fighting. And don't do a slow burn. Get a godly perspective. And, and in the midst of this, get a big picture. That's a godly perspective. What is the big picture? Why does God allow trials and troubles to come into our lives? To refine us. To make us more like Christ. His goal is to conform us to the very image of Christ. That's why Romans 8.28 says all things are working together for good. When Paul says all things are working together for good, he doesn't mean you're going to feel good. He doesn't mean you're going to agree this is really great. Uh, what he means is this. God is sovereign. That he's going to use everything in life, even sin, which is not good, but he uses even that to, to move you along and make you like Jesus Christ. That's the big picture. So don't get angry. Get Christ-like. That's what he's saying. The question is, when you go through a trial, is this, uh, Lord, how can I respond more like Christ? What are you teaching me? Is it patience? Is it humility? Uh, is it compassion for others? Because, boy, I've suffered in this. 
and that'll only make you more compassionate to minister to those who are going through some deep waters. So those are some of the, the items we discussed last week, and you'd be wise to follow that because that's where the victory is won. So these are the truths from Scripture that teach us how to lay aside the sins of anger and evil speech. But the question this morning, which we didn't get to last week, was why? Why should you do this? After all, and I'm going to be perfectly blunt there is a wicked satisfaction to being angry. Some of us really enjoy it. It's been such a way of life, we think it's the norm. In fact, we wouldn't know how to respond if there wasn't a conflict. We didn't get angry. Well, we need to, because that's what the Scripture says. But there is a wicked, sinful enjoyment that we get out of being angry because it makes us feel so justified, so self-righteous to hold a grudge against someone who has wronged us. It just makes us feel good. It really does. And so uh, we need to ask ourselves, why is it so important to deal with, with anger? Why not just continue like that? It makes me feel so good that I don't have to speak to somebody because they just bug me. And by the way, all that Paul says is in the context of, of believers. It's a given that you should never be angry and, and take out your frustrations on unbelievers. He's talking about believers because he says in verse 9, don't lie to one another. So it's all about one another. It's, it's within the context of a local church. How do we get along with one another? Why shouldn't you hold a grudge, especially in light of the Lord's Supper? Why shouldn't you be angry with one another? Why should you not be bitter? Why should you not speak evil to one another? Well, we want to see three reasons this morning for putting aside the sins of anger. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list. These are just the things that I see in Colossians chapter 3. I'm sure there are other reasons. But three reasons that Paul gives in Colossians 3 for putting these sins out of our, our lives. Uh, number one is found at the end of verse 9 and, and uh, beginning of verse 10. He says, Since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self. Have put on the new self. Tremendous. What he's saying is these sins belong to the old way of life. They don't belong to your new way of life. Before coming to Christ, this was the way you were. Let me read it again. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being, and we'll look at that in a few, a few minutes. Uh, this is important to understand. At salvation, you laid aside the old self. What is the old self? The old self was all you were in Adam, all your unregenerate, uh, un-Christ-like un way. I, I, a good way of putting it is your old nature. You laid it aside. Be careful, Paul is not saying that you are to lay that aside. You are simply to lay the sins aside that, that were associated with the old way of life. But you have laid aside your old self, whether you recognize it or not. That's why we're teaching this. You did lay it aside. The old man was crucified, Paul says. You laid it aside. Paul is not teaching us to lay it aside. He is telling you that you have laid it aside. You have become a new creature in Christ. Therefore, he's saying, live like a new creature in Christ. I think it's important to, to see this, that salvation doesn't mean that the old nature is kept and reformed. It means that it was replaced by a new nature. You cannot be half regenerate and half um, unregenerate. You, this, I don't think that the scriptures teach that we're a spiritual half-breed. Now, we still struggle with sin. We groan. I, I do not think that it's because of a nature. I think that the that sin operates through our bodies. And that's why Paul speaks that our bodies groan until the day of redemption. Romans 7 speaks about his, his groanings. We still struggle with sin, 
but I don't think it's because a, a nature is there. And I realize some of it is semantics, and I, don't, I haven't fully worked through it in my own mind how to articulate this, but Paul very clearly says the old self was laid aside. It was, it was laid aside. You put on the new self, which is the new regenerate you. It's a divine nature. Therefore, we are to behave as people who are new creatures in Christ. That's what he means. All things have become new. That's our position before him. That's the way we really are. Now, Paul is telling us that we are to act the way we really are. So that's, that's why. The reason, the reason that you are to put away the sins of anger and evil speech is because you're new people in Christ. It is unfitting for you. It, it is ridiculous for us to behave as old people when we laid our old selves aside. Number two, second reason why you should put these sins out of your life is the goal of this new life is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Notice the rest of verse 10. Paul says, have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. What that means is this. The new man, the new self, the new nature is continually being renewed by God. It's continually being renewed by God. That is to say, there is a process of spiritual growth in your life. Though at the moment of salvation, you instantly received a new nature, that does not mean that you instantly received spiritual maturity. That's a lifelong process. Remember Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will perform it or continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. You have a new nature, but you are not completely new in behavior. That's why Paul is calling us to, to correspond our behavior to our new nature. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says the same thing. Our outer man is decaying, and some of us know that ever so well. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Uh, the word renewed simply means to make new uh, uh, again, to make different, a new quality. That is to say, though, outwardly we're getting older, we're, we're perishing. Inwardly, God is doing a transforming work, making us like Jesus Christ. The goal of the Christian life is to be inwardly transformed to be like Christ. That's why it says the image of the one who created him. Jesus Christ is the creator, and God is making us more and more like Christ. Now, how does this constant renewal take place? It's a daily thing. Notice what he says in verse 10. He speaks of true knowledge. That is the knowledge of the word of God. The more you know about God and his word, and specifically about the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you become like him. And obviously, he's talking about obeying, not just studying the Bible so you have more theological insight than other people and can argue. He's talking about knowing the Word so you obey the Word. That's how you become like Christ. Acts 11, verse 26, says that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians in the city of Antioch. Antioch was a major center of paganism in those days, and the term was one of derision because of the believer's passion for living Christ-like lives. Do you have a passion for holy living? Thanks for listening today. This is Verse by Verse, a daily Bible class of the year taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you are ever in or near Clearwater on a Sunday morning and do not have other worship plans, I hope you will pay a visit to Lakeside. Pastor Steve would love to meet you. 
Lakeside is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road. That's midway between U.S. 19 and the beaches. These classes are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry made possible by the giving of our listeners. You can find out more about us at our website, versebyverseradio.org. You'll also find today's class right there if you want to hear it again or download it for later. We have hundreds of previous classes on the archives page. That's versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. Today's class was the first part of a two-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message all at once, it is available on cassette or CD. You can order yours by calling us at 727-239-0306. Someone said that a person who is angry on the right grounds against the right persons in the right manner at the right moment and for the right length of time deserves great praise. But it seems to me like most of the time we are angry for far too long at all the wrong people in all the wrong ways for all the wrong reasons. Of all the sins we commit, unrighteous anger is probably the most fun. It really feels good to relish the pain we feel and savor the pain we are inflicting. There is such a thing as righteous anger. Jesus displayed it several times in his earthly ministry. But righteous anger just does not seem to be as fun as anger rooted in feelings that arise when our pride and sense of self-importance are violated. Yet, again and again, Scripture commands us to set aside anger, malice, and other emotional sins. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden. I invite you to join us for the next Verse by Verse, and we will consider more reasons why we should set aside anger. Encouraging you in Christ. Every other religion says, listen, you've got to be good enough, work enough, sweat enough. Christianity says you don't have to do any of that. You come to me. It is my life lived through you. Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.